You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God's timetable is ever so important for all of us. We need to live by God's timetable. Many of you have promises from God. Many of you are waiting for promises from God. God will deliver those promises on His timetable. Not on yours, on His. Never late, never early, always on time, always on time. Patience is key in the life of every believer. We live in this world for only a short period of time, and we've become accustomed to getting things when we want them. As Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, while it can be extremely hard to wait on God's timing, His timing and answers are perfect. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message, In the Shadow of the Cross. Storm clouds are brewing and gathering around Jesus. The religious leaders have rejected him because he healed the lame man on the Sabbath. We read about that in chapter 5. They're now plotting to kill him. They even went so far as to make a pronouncement that anyone associated with our Jesus had the penalty of being excommunicated from the entire nation. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was aware of the plan to kill him. I can say that because in chapter 2, we studied in verse 25 that Jesus knows what's in a man. He knows what's in a heart. He knows what's in your heart today. He knows these things. He knows what's in each and every one of these hearts. Now look at this statement. Jesus knew what was in man's heart. He knew he couldn't trust man because of the underlying evil that was in him. It was the sin that caused mankind to fall away from God. Jesus knew man's fickleness. He knew he would be for him one day, against him the next. Jesus knows what is in each of us. He knows the worst of you, and he knows the best of you. And the wonderful thing about it is, he continues to love you, even in the worst and the best. Storm clouds are brewing around Jesus now. Many of those who listened to him as he taught in the synagogue of Capernaum have turned away from following him. They've left him because the doctrine was difficult for them to apply to their lives. They left. He was losing public support. His popularity was waning. People didn't want to be around him any longer because they couldn't get what they wanted from him, which was material things. He was offering physical. He was offering everlasting life. He was offering life eternal with he and the Father. But they didn't want that. And he knew who would believe in him and who wouldn't. He knew who would accept him and he who wouldn't. And the storm clouds were gathering, even his, his close-knit group of the 12, the ones he picked, the ones he handpicked. He knew one of them was a devil, and one would betray him. So these storm clouds are brewing in the life of Jesus. 
Everything takes a turn. Everything now turns because there's a death threat hanging over Jesus' head, hanging over him continually. These storm clouds that were gathering were a shadow of a cross. They were a shadow of a cross. The, the cross was ever before Jesus' eyes. But as he goes forward from this point, he's always aware that the shadow is there. He's always aware of the cross, but he doesn't waver. He is steadfast in his approach to the cross, and he knows how it will play out. He knows exactly what's going to happen, but yet he's trusting in the Father because it's the Father's plan, not his. It's not his plan. Jesus trusted in God. He was fully submitted to the Father. He knows it's not his time, but he knew his time was near. He knew the time was fast approaching. So Jesus is walking in the shadow of the cross. His eyes are like a flint looking towards the cross for the fulfillment of his ministry and the obedience to God the Father. So as we begin chapter 7, we come into the final six months of Jesus' life. We're entering now into that time, the final six months, maybe stretch out to a year, depending upon when this happened. He's looking now to the crucifixion. It's before his eyes. And everything now that he does moves towards that point. And I think it's incredible that we're only in chapter 7, and there are 21 chapters in John. And he spends all that time, all that time talking about Jesus before the cross and his way to the cross. Now I was standing back there praying. As I was listening to you worship, the Lord impressed upon my heart something. What would you do if you had six months left? What would you do if you knew you had six months left? Now sadly, and I'm not picking on anybody, I don't know everybody's plan, but sometimes some of us go to a doctor and we get a death sentence. You only have X number of time left. What do you do with your time? Jesus had a death sentence hanging over his head. He was going to a cross. He knew that. His eyes were ever looking towards that cross. And everything he did was in the shadow of the cross. Everything he did, his entire life, and he knew that. What would you do? How would you live your life? Would it change if you knew that? As we read verse 1, we come to our favorite line, after these things. <laughs> the old original King James, it says, and it came to pass. After these things, after the storm clouds had gathered around Jesus, he walked in Galilee. He doesn't stray far from Galilee. Why? Because he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. These religious leaders sought him out. They wanted to kill him. How dare he heal a lame man on the Sabbath? How dare he break their tradition, traditional sabbatical law and heal someone which they considered work? How dare he do that? They didn't consider the miracle of the man being healed after 40 years. All they could look at was Jesus broke their law. So they wanted to kill him. The perplexing thing about this whole thing, sometimes it doesn't compute in my finite brain. The Jews proclaimed to be God's people. They knew they were God's chosen people. They claimed to be expecting a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. And the Messiah, the one the prophets were talking about, would come and deliver them and be their king. And here the Messiah was in their midst. The Messiah was right in their midst. And they didn't accept him. We read way, way back when we started, John, in 1.11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. 
Jesus said, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel, his own. He was the promised Messiah. He came to his own. But they said, we have no king but Caesar in John 19, 15. And then they said, we will not let this man rule over us in Luke 19, 14. And so his own received him not, thus fulfilling Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus walked openly in Galilee with the twelve. And although his popularity was waning, he still remained popular enough in Galilee where the Jewish religious leaders could not get him because there would be too much opposition. So he remained in Galilee. Now, I've said this before as we were studying the book of Gospel of John. There's a lot of things that John does not record. There are a lot of things in the Gospels that John does not record, and you must look at the harmony of the Gospel and how they fit together. You have to look at them all. There is a huge gap between 7-1 and 7-2 in the harmony. A very, very large gap. What did Jesus do during these times? Well, according to the other Gospels, he goes up to Tyre and Sidon with his disciples. He goes over to Caesarea of Philippi, which is at the base of Mount Hermon. And on Mount Hermon, he goes up and he's transfigured. Transfigured before all of them. Then they go back to Caesarea of Philippi. And it was at Caesarea of Philippi that Peter stands up and says, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. He makes his great profession of faith. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't tell you that, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus proceeds to tell them that he has to go to the cross, that he has to go and be crucified, and he has to do all these things. And Peter's great reaction was, no, you can't do that. Jesus looked at Peter and said, now, now, Peter, no. He looked at Peter and said, get behind thee, Satan. Peter was trying to convince him not to go to the cross. Remember, the cross is ever before Jesus' eyes. He knows where he has to go, and not one thing or anyone will keep him from his appointed hour. So all these things happened. All these things happened between 7-1 and 7-2. And in 7-2, we read about a feast. Now, the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. Feast of tabernacles happens in September or October, depending upon the calendar. The families basically camp out in booths. Sukkoth, it's called. Sukkoth. They camp out in booths. All the families move out of their homes, and they make these little shacks that they all camp out in for a whole week. Why? It commemorates the time in the wilderness. They're thanking God for his provisions during the wilderness travel, the 40 years. It's a feast that is every year they celebrate it. They have to celebrate it. All the males have to go to Jerusalem. It's an interesting fact here. This was a joyful feast. And it had become associated with an expectation. An expectation of a coming age of plenty that was described by Zechariah in Zechariah 14. So their minds were already towards the Lord during this time. Their minds were already towards God during this time. But something even more interesting that I found. The celebration also looked on it as a way of seeking to guarantee the pouring out of rain in the coming years so that they would have a good harvest. Now, those of you who are biblical scholars know where I'm going with this, because many people believe this is why Jesus chose that time to proclaim about the Holy Spirit when we get to 37 and 39. The pouring out of the latter rain, the 
pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We'll get there someday. Many people, it was that, that Jesus chose that specific time. So it was this feast that his brothers urged him to go up to in Jerusalem. Let's read 3 through 5. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, a little bit of a controversy going on about these scriptures, and it depends upon the way you take it. I'm going to tell you the way I take it, the way I believe it's written. Many believe that the brothers were encouraging him to go up to Jerusalem. But when you get to verse 5, it says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. I believe they were mocking him. I believe they were mocking him. I believe they were saying, you're such a hot shot. You think you're so good. Go on up there and show yourself. Why keep it a secret? Why are you hiding all these things? Go up there and show yourself. Show yourself strong. I mean, isn't that the world's way to gain popularity? Go to the biggest venue you can possibly find and show yourself. Gain popularity. So I think his brothers were doing that. I don't believe they were encouraging him. Because it says they didn't even believe in him. After how many years living with him and seeing him as they grew up, they knew there was something different about him. They knew that Joseph wasn't his father. Because all the townspeople were calling him illegitimate. They were calling him all kinds of names, and they knew that. They said there was something different about him, and they grew up. Oh, by the way, I hate to burst your bubble, but yeah, the Scripture says Jesus did have brothers and sisters. He did have brothers and sisters. So you see this happening. You see them challenging him almost. Remember, we're looking at the end of Jesus' ministry. We're coming to the end, and his brothers didn't even believe in him. They didn't even look to him as the Messiah. Hey, you're supposed to go up to Jerusalem. You're supposed to be the Messiah. Get up there. Show yourself. Show yourself on the biggest stage of all Israel. Show yourself. Remember, what happened in the previous chapter? Jesus has already turned down being king. Remember, they wanted to make him king by force? Jesus already turned it down. He knew it was not the will of the Father, nor was it the way of the Father. Jesus knew that the cross was the only way. And he was not going to yield to anything else or any other plan. These guys had the world's point of view. These guys were thinking worldly. But Jesus walked in the shadow of the cross. Jesus walked in the shadow of the cross. He knew it was ahead, and he wouldn't turn back. He was not going to change the plan. Why? Because it was God's plan. It was God's, the Father's plan, and he became obedient to God even unto death, Scripture says. He was obedient. And because the Jew, Jesus, was completely submitted to the will of the Father, he was submitted to the Father's timing as well. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus said to him, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. He certainly knew that where he was going... And the storm clouds were brewing. The time was not at hand. It was not the right time for Jesus to show himself, according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures, these people had the Old Testament in their hands. That's the only Scriptures they had. They had prophet Isaiah. They had Jeremiah. They had Daniel. They knew that from the time Jeremiah planted the first stone to rebuild the um, walls in Jerusalem, when Artaxerxes gave that order, from that time, 483 years later, the Messiah would enter in Jerusalem. 
They knew that. And they were looking for it. And on that very day, we call it Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. 483 years later. But they didn't get it. They didn't realize it. Jesus was living by a divine timetable. Are you? Are you living by a divine timetable? Or are you living on your own timetable? Scripture even says, if I say, see you tomorrow, I'm supposed to say, see you tomorrow, God willing. I don't know what God's will is for me later on this day. Are you living on a divine timetable? And if you are living on a divine timetable, you know that there is something fast approaching us even now. If you're living on a divine timetable, you know that there is something fast approaching us right now, and it's called the rapture of the church. It's called a time when the trumpet blows and we're out of here, Jesus meets us in the air, the dead in Christ rise first. There is a time that is coming, and it is not far away. So therefore, you should be prepared for that time. Well, how do I get prepared? First and foremost, Jesus Christ should be your Lord and Savior. You should have accepted him, repented of your sin, confessed your sins, and followed him, and you should be following him today. Because that time will come like a thief in the night. You do not want to be caught unaware. You do not want to be left behind. A time frame, God's timetable. When will it happen? No one knows the hour. But God does. It's not time yet. God's timetable is ever so important for all of us. We need to live by God's timetable. Many of you have promises from God. Many of you are waiting for promises of, from God. God will deliver those promises on His timetable. Not on yours. On His. Never late. Never early. It's always on time. Always on time. And if you're like me, you want to help them along. Come on, Lord. What are you doing? You want to help him along? I'm going to help you out a little bit. And he laughs. Go ahead, Dave. Knock yourself out, man. Knock yourself out. And you try all these things, and you want to do all these things, and you bump your head against wall, and you can't understand why your Bible study closes because you had it for one whole year, and 40 people attended it, but it closes anyhow, and you're going, no. In my time, it's God's time. It's God's time. And we must wait upon the Lord in with a patient fashion. Wait upon the Lord in a patient fashion. And it's ever so hard for the flesh to wait upon him patiently. Been there, done that, still do. We should be living on a divine timetable. Divine timetable. Jesus said to his brothers, your time is always. It's always here. You're not submitted to God, so... Anything will happen for you. Anything's going to happen for you. It's just going to happen. Do it. Jesus tells his brothers, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You want to go up to the feast? Go ahead, up to the feast. But he was on a mission from God. He was on a mission from the Father and could only do what he was commanded to do. Remember, we've read in Scripture, Jesus only does what the Father is doing, only says what the Father is saying. Jesus would be in the public eye soon enough. Soon enough he would be in the public eye, but not in the way the brothers were thinking. Look at verse 7a. Jesus said to him, oh, excuse me, 6, we're still in 6. 
My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. In 7a, it says, the world cannot hate you. Tells his brothers that you belong to the world. You belong to the world. Why? Why is he telling his brothers they belong to the world? Because they were infected with a terminal disease. Does anybody know the name of that disease? Sin. They were infected with a terminal disease. It's called sin. The wages of sin is death. They, were, they had a, a terminal disease. They didn't believe in him. The world system is run by sin. So if you're in sin, you're going to be accepted by the world. The world's going to love you when you're in sin. When you're out of sin and you're different from them, they're going to reject you. They don't want any part of you when you're not part of them. When you're not wanting what they have so they can sell to you or give to you and make themselves feel better. We're different. We need to be different. We need to be shown different. If you act like the world, the world will not reject you. When there's no difference between you and the world, the world will be your best friend. Go back and read 1 John. He has some pretty nasty words to say about those who love the world. Not so nice words. Jesus said the world hates him. Why? Because he testifies of what's evil. Jesus knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill them. Now these were religious leaders. These were the leaders who wanted to kill him. Why? Because he exposed their evil works. He exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their shallowness. And he exposed the emptiness of a system that was futile. A system based on law and the tradition of man to get to God. It was futile. Nobody could obey it. Nobody could follow it. It was a futile system. Futile system, excuse me. Jesus came so that they may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came so they would have everlasting life. He came to give them that. He came to give them that by a relationship with God the Father through him. The relationship starts with him. To get to God the Father, you have to go through Jesus Christ. The religious leaders only wanted to glorify themselves. The religious leaders wanted you to think that they were great because they thought they were great, and you should too, because they had the law. They were the people that says, do as I say, not as I do. They didn't follow the law, but they wanted you to follow the law, and they put you under the law. Legalism. We have some of that that's rampant around here too. Some people live in legalism. Do this, do that, do this. Meanwhile, their life is a shambles. You're like, what? Legalism. Hypocrisy, shallowness. He exposed their evil works. He tells the brothers, go to the feast. I'm not yet going to go. I'm not yet going to go. In verse 8 he says, you go up to the feast. I'm not yet going to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. Once again he says, my time has not yet fully come. My time has not yet fully come. It's not time for me to be exposed to them. It's not time for me to show myself strong. It's not time. It doesn't match up with the prophecies. See, Jesus was well aware of all the prophecies. He was fulfilling prophecy time and time and time again. Everything he did fulfilled a prophecy, and he was not going to act before the appointed time. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.